0: Well, good morning, church. My name is uh, Daniel Stavannis. Uh, my friends call me Stallion. I grew up overseas in Italy, and when I moved to college, they said, you're the Italian Stallion. I said, sure. Um, and that name stuck ever since. Uh, I'm our student ministry director, and it is such a joy to be able to share God's word with you guys here this morning. Um, and not just a joy, it truly is a, it's a privilege, and it's, a, it's an honor, and it's something that I think uh, I can speak on behalf of our teaching team that whenever we have a chance to come and communicate God's Word, it's our prayer that um, that you would not be entertained, but that you truly would hear and see and understand what God's Word is is speaking and and teaching, and that you would take that and apply it and your life would be transformed through that. So that is our our goal, and that's my goal with our time here uh, this morning. Uh, You might hear from my voice that um, I'm getting over some sickness, and uh, I'll be honest with you, this past week was a little rough. Um, actually, everything started last week. Um, Sunday, well, Saturday night, really, I was at a birthday party for a good friend, and we were outside. If you remember, last Saturday was a beautiful, incredible weather day, and as the evening progressed, it started to get a little bit cooler, and we were sitting around a gas fire pit, and as the evening progressed and as the night went on, it got a little bit cooler, a little bit cooler, and we kind of kept getting closer and closer to the fire pit, and we realized the reason we were doing that was not because uh, of the warmth that it was producing, but it was because the, the gas propane was, was, was dying out. And so the fire was getting smaller and smaller. We were getting closer and closer. And when the flame finally went out, I looked at my friends, I said, I'm freezing. I'm going home. And so at that point, I went home, woke up the next morning, and had just kind of like a raspy throat, wasn't feeling great. Uh, came, taught Sunday school, and when Sunday school was done, I walked down the hallway and sat down, and I was like, man, I'm wipes. I don't think I'm feeling great. So I got in my car and I went to the one place where you go when you're not feeling great, the corner of happy and healthy. Walgreens, um, and as I was in Walgreens, I was trying to think through what I needed to get, and as I was processing all this, I saw through um, the cars and across the distance, uh, the urgent care, and something in my, in, my, in my heart was just like, you need to go to urgent care this time, and so I went there, spoke with the doctor, and he said, you have a sinus infection, and so then I went back to Walgreens, of course, And picked up everything that I needed, and uh, some antibiotics, um, some cough drops, cough syrups. I have a little pharmacy in my house right now, okay? Everything's laid on my desk. I've got cough syrups, cough drops, of course, antibiotic. I've got Advil, ibuprofen. They say it's the same thing. I'm a little skeptical. Uh, I've got decongestant AM, decongestant PM, um, and throat lozenges. I don't know what a lozenger is, but I've got them, okay? And so if you start to get a little sick or don't feel great, um, come, come find me and uh, we'll, we'll get you upright. Um, we're continuing this series on the book of Ephesians. And this series, um, as we communicate, as we teach, we've kind of couched it in this premise, if this than that. And these are conditional sentences, conditional statements. And so our goal is that as we study through the book of Ephesians, in order for us to better remember what it's saying or better apply what it's saying, that we would process these statements if this, then that. And so we said that if we are chosen for week one, then we, we have a purpose. Uh, if we are saved by grace, then we need to live a grateful life. And so, if this, then that, and and if this, then that. These these sentences like this, um, this cause and effect type of mentality is great, especially when you're trying to um, talk about like gravity, like. If I walked off this stage, then I would fall. And I've actually thought that before as I've been up here speaking. Like, if I get too close to the edge, I need to be careful. Um, if I were to, to, to step off, I would fall and, and break something. Um, if I, um, maybe it was when we were kids, you know, our parents taught us consequences. If you were late for curfew, you would be grounded for a week. And at 9.58, my dad was sitting there by the door, you know, waiting to make sure that I, well, I was on time. Um, I remember in school, okay, uh, if you did not study for this test, uh, then no amount of prayer could give you the information uh, that you need for that test, uh, and trust me, I, I tried that. Um, I do remember one time in, in speech class in college, the professor, this is when I decided to challenge um, this, this idea of thinking the if and then statements, and the professor said, if you prepare your speech, your final speech, the night before, you will not get an A, and I thought to myself, challenge, accepted." And so, I actually the night before my speech was due, I actually remember staying up late with my friends and watching one of our favorite TV shows. And so, the next morning, I was like, "What should I talk about in my speech?" I know I'll talk about the TV show that I was watching all last night that I should have been working on my speech. And so, I developed my speech that morning, and I proved them wrong because I planned it that morning, and I still got an A minus. Now, that doesn't speak so much to the quality of the speech, maybe just more the quality of me being able to ad lib and, and tell some fun facts about a show that I was watching. If this, then that. And so we've been couching these conversations and couching these principles from the book of Ephesians in this idea and in this philosophy of if these things happen, then you will get this outcome. But I want to warn us today because it's a little bit of a dangerous way to live, especially our spiritual lives in this terms, because if we start to live this way, if we start to think if this, then that, then we start to kind of have this mindset where if we get things reasonably right then uh, things will happen or things will go reasonably well. So we think to ourselves, okay, if I'm a good person, if I'm a good Christian, if I spend a decent amount of time, like reasonably speaking, if I do what I'm supposed to and spend time in God's word, if I do what I'm supposed to and, and, and pray to the Lord, if I do what I'm supposed to and, and show up to church and uh, time and time again, if I do those things, if things go reasonably well, or if I, if I do reasonably good, then the outcome will be that things will come out reasonably well. And unfortunately, when it comes to spiritual terms, we then start to expect this thing. Now, there's a difference between expectation and desire, and so I want to start there because when we have expectations, then expectation is basically something that we think will happen, but we just think an expectation is valid. We think it's just something that we need to do. It's just something that we, um, that, that it, it, it just should match this. If I have this expectation, if I have this thought, then that will be the outcome that happens. If I have this expectation, then something should come from that. A desire instead of something that we can uh, look forward to, something that we can hold a little bit loosely. The outcome and the fulfillment may or may not happen, but the expectation assumes that the fulfillment will come to pass. And the truth is that this doesn't happen in scripture. In fact, um, a famous author, Christian author Philip Yancey has this book called Disappointment with God, and he says that there is a gap between what we expect and what we experience sometimes, and when that doesn't match, then we end up being disappointed with God Think of this for a second. When you've expected God to do something, or you've expected God to act in a certain way, or you expected God to show up in a certain way, you expected God to do a certain number of things, and then that doesn't happen, you can actually become disappointed frustrated and end up having doubts and not trusting God. And so our expectation needs to be not that God is going to answer because we did the right thing, if this, then that. But we have to understand that our following the Lord, we do that, we obey him, we process, we, we, we seek him, understanding that God is still in control and that God does what he thinks is best. And we see that in the stories of people like Joseph, the story of Job throughout Scripture, that, yeah, they've done the right things, they did everything okay, did everything good, but the outcome was not necessarily what they would have expected. If this, then that, we need to be careful when we think of it in spiritual terms, because that's not always how the Bible deals with us. And so today we're going to find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 3. So if you have your scriptures, go ahead and grab that, whether it's in your Bible or digital. Go ahead and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. That's where we're camping out. We're spending all of our time there. And so turn there to Ephesians chapter 3. As you turn there, I want to remind us where we're at or what we've been discussing and talking about. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to believers in the town of Ephesus. And he's writing to them because they are largely discouraged about what has happened to him. Uh, he finds out and hears that the believers are discouraged about the outcome that has come to him, which is that he is in prison. He is in jail, and and it's largely because of them, because of uh, something that has to do with them. And he's going to address and explain that to them. Now we know that Paul preaches both to Jewish people and to Gentiles. Um, in this case, we're talking about Jewish people and Greek people, and Paul actually um, is is it has been in Ephesus. For three years, and and Ephesus is kind of on the western end of what we would say is modern day Turkey. And so, as he's witnessing and working and teaching the believers or, or the people there, many Gentiles come to know what it means to follow God because of his time with them. And so he's built relationships with them. He's uh, pastored them. He becomes like a spiritual leader, like almost like a spiritual father to them through his time in Ephesus. And after that, he gets ready to go back to Jerusalem. Now, when he goes back to Jerusalem, as is custom for Paul, he takes some people with him. And one of the guys that he brings with him is a guy named Trophimus. Now, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have children. Uh, I'm not sure how the naming process goes down. But Trophimus is an interesting name. But if you hear it, it also is not just interesting, it is not a Jewish name, it probably in fact is a Greek name, Trophimus. He was a Gentile. But, but Paul brings him back to Jerusalem, and while he's there with him, he's teaching, and he's ministering, he's doing different things, and people start to notice that he's hanging out with this person, he's hanging out with this uh, believer who is not a Jewish person. And one of the things that, that the Apostle Paul does is he goes over to the temple, and in the temple there's this one special section that was for Jewish people only. And the people, the Jewish people there were worried. They're, they're starting to think that maybe he brought a Gentile even into that part. And you can read the, the story in Acts chapter 1, sorry, Acts 21 and Acts 22. You can read all about this, about Paul and his time with Trophimus and what happens when he goes back to Jerusalem in Acts 21 and 22. And as he uh, as this is happening, it says that the Jewish people got so angry with him that they actually captured him. They, they kind of like created a whole mob around him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to throw stones at him because he started to preach and proclaim and to teach. That the gospel message is now applicable to Gentile people as well. And they got so angry and so stirred up that actually, it says the Roman uh, the government had to intervene, and so the Roman guards came and, and kind of pulled him away, and he says, no wait, let me address the crowds, and he reminds them, and he repeats to them, hey, God is not just for Jewish people, but God's message, the gospel, needs to be preached to Gentiles. And it says that they were outraged even more, and now they, they try to reach for him, and so the, the Roman guards literally, like, pick him up and, and carry him off and, and have to imprison him in order to save his life. And so he spends two years there locally in a prison and then eventually two years in a a Roman jail. And so the believers now were disappointed and they thought that the gospel had gone off the rails. They thought like, what what else could happen? How can this be good? How can this be a positive outcome? How can we be okay with this? He's proclaiming this message that Jesus saves, that Jesus gives redemption, that Jesus gives new life, and now he's arrested. Now our, our main guy, our main speaker, our main spiritual father is in jail. They're worried about this. They're starting to be disheartened. They're starting to be discouraged. They expected that, man, if, if he's doing the will of God, then nothing bad could ever happen to him. And I wonder, do we ever find discouragement when God's will is different than what we expect? Do we ever get discouraged when we expect God to work one way and instead God works a different way? Man, think of maybe your own life or maybe even through the life of a friend. You've seen some friends go through some really hard times. Maybe it's sickness, or maybe it's difficulty, or maybe it's some kind of uh, problem that has happened in their life, in their marriage, or at their jobs. And it's easy for us, even as friends, to sit by and say, God, how are you not seeing what's happening? How are you not seeing what's going on in their life? Lord, are you, still, are you still on the throne? And we kind of get this posture because we expect things to go reasonably right when we do what is reasonable for us to do in those moments. I know for myself, I had some health problems in 2016, some serious health problems, and I remember someone writing to me on a Facebook message, and they're trying to be super encouraging and super positive, and they said, I just don't understand how this can happen to you, a youth pastor. It's like, anybody can have health problems. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter uh, what status or, or, or what job or what career you have. We're all humans, and we live in a fallen world where sickness and difficulty and hardships happen. And so Paul is seeking to remind the believers here, hey, even though I'm your spiritual father, even though I'm, um, I travel and speak and, and preach God's word, um, what's going on has not caught God by surprise. Maybe we didn't expect this, but still God is on the throne. And so it's with that background that we get to uh, chapter 3, um, and we start out reading verse 1. And I, I love this. We're going to stop here just in a second again, because in, in, in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, for this reason... So we'll stop for a second. We need to understand, well, what reason? Or what is he saying? For this, I, Paul, so, so what is this reason? Well, we took a... a I looked the last two weeks in chapter one and chapter two, and in chapter one, he he talked all about salvation and the fact that God gifts salvation to his people and he gives them grace and he's given us a chance to be a part of his family. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, we were able to enter and be a part of the family of God. So it's like, for that reason. And then in chapter two, he spends all this time to explain that this message was meant for the Gentile people as well. You see, this was difficult for the Jewish people to understand, for so long they had been told you are God's chosen people, you are God's special plan, you are God's chosen, and, and, and the truth is they were his special people chosen to be able to represent throughout the world. The whole reason they were his people, the whole reason they were called by God was to be holy, set apart, to be different, so that as other people looked at them, they would actually understand and get a glimpse of who God was. But instead, they took that being different and set apart, that being holy is like, oh yeah, we're pretty cool, we're pretty special. Were all that in a bag of chips? Like they, they had such a high view of themselves because they were God's chosen people, and 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 Paul reminds us that the idea was that hey, you may be God's chosen people, but this message is applicable to everyone, even the Gentiles. Uh, in fact, it says in chapter two, verse nineteen, we looked at this this past week. It says, "So then, you are no longer strangers; you are no longer aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God." That he was speaking to Gentile people. He was saying everything that, that, that it was proclaimed to Jewish people is applicable to you now too. So he says, for this reason, the message of the gospel, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. And he pauses again. Now he pauses again. we imagine that as he's writing, and, and this is just Paul's, you know, mine this is how he writes. His little ADD jumps around. And he starts saying, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ on your behalf of the Gentiles. Huh, I should explain some things. And he takes this aside, this, this almost parentheses, the commentators say, that lasts about 13 verses. This is a long parentheses. And so we, I want to understand, well, so, so, okay, so we're going to look at the parentheses. We're going to see what it says and explains there. But, but in verse 1, he says, for this reason, and then we're like, well, so, so for this reason, what? Well, if you look all the way down to verse 14, he repeats this, and this is where he gets back into his conversation. He goes, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, so he goes for this reason. I bow my knee, A.K.A. I pray for you, and this is the same thing he said in chapter one, verse fifteen. He says, "For this reason," and he goes, I, and he goes into a prayer. So his goal is to pray for the people. His goal is to pray for the Ephesian people. But as he's starting to converse with them, as he's starting to talk to them, he's like, um, "Let me pause for a second. Let me let me give you some more thoughts." And this is typical of Paul's conversation style. Now, I don't know if you know this, but. If you're going to write something, um, it's actually frowned upon to write long, run-on sentences. Did did you know that? Okay, like, I did it. I grew up overseas, I grew up in Italy, and in Italy it's actually a writing technique to write really long sentences. It's actually like applauded, it's the opposite. I remember one time a friend of mine wrote a story, he wrote an essay for class, and I don't even remember what it was about, but it went something like, the other day it was a beautiful summer day, comma, One of those summer days that's not too hot, not too cold, comma, just the perfect temperature, comma. Like the type of temperature that you would experience on a sweet uh, early spring, but, you know, late winter day, comma, just the perfect day, period. It's like, what? And that's how we, we were encouraged to write like that. We were taught to write like that. And I remember when I came to college and I sat down and wrote my first essay, I found out very quickly that that is not a good writing style in the United States. Okay, I found that out the hard way as well. I wasn't a good student, middle school, high school, college, okay. I had to learn things the hard way. And, and, and Paul, I mean, he, he was Jewish by nationality, but he had Roman citizenship. So I think he maybe learned some of that style as well. Because he has this long aside, and even his prayer from verse 14 on, if you go back and read that, he essentially is saying one thing. But if you look at verse 14, all the way to verse 21, sorry, all the way to verse 19, there is not a period. It's all commas and a couple of dashes and some numbers sprinkled in between there. His whole conversation, his whole prayer for them is that they would be strengthened on the inside so that then what happens on the outside, like being in prison, would not affect them, would not deter them, would not stir them away from the gospel. His whole desire is the reason I'm writing you guys, I, Paul, prisoner of the gospel, the reason I'm writing you is to tell you, hey, everything that's been going on is going on for a reason and it's going to be okay. God is still in control. I'm praying for your inner strength. But as he starts to write that, he gets distracted. He goes, I, a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. And he's like, let me pause. I feel like I need to explain some more things. So back to verse 1. There's this big dash there in the scriptures, a big, big line. And he goes on to explain what he's in jail for, why he's in jail. He says, I'm a prisoner of Christ, Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. He must have thought, I need to give context to why I'm in jail. I just said I'm in jail because of you. Let me pause and explain what does that mean. Because if you were a reader and put yourself in, like you were reading the letter, maybe you thought there was an update from Paul. Maybe they thought he was going to not be in jail anymore. Hey, brothers, by the way, I'm out of jail. But, but as they're reading, he goes, no, I'm a prisoner of Christ on your, on your behalf, my behalf. Is it because of me? Like, as a reader, they would have been shocked. They would have been worried. And so he's like, let me pause for a second, and let me explain a little bit. And his idea of his whole parentheses, he doesn't even pick up back to verse 13, which is going to be the essence of his letter. He says, so I ask you, verse 13, not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So he starts this whole conversation, he goes, the reason I'm writing you because of this message of the gospel, because it applies to you Gentiles, because I'm a prisoner on your behalf, time out, pause, and he gets to the end, he goes, don't lose heart over this fact, don't lose heart over this suffering, it is for your glory. And so what we see, what we understand is that our expectations aren't always met, our expectations don't always match up with what God is doing, our expectations aren't always what we think is going to happen in the end. But that's a good thing. And so we have verses 2 through 13, the parentheses that he deals with, and I want to read this with us now. In verse 2, he says this Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. So, here's our, our, our verse. So, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for, for you, which is your glory. So, he's saying, the suffering I'm going through is actually for your glory. He goes, I'm in prison, yes, because I preach with Trophimus, the message that the, that the gospel is now accessible to the Gentiles. That's why I'm in trouble. The same message that you received, that you believed in, has gotten me in trouble. That's why I'm in jail. But he wants to say, "God has revealed something new to me—a mystery, something that the earlier times they didn't know about. A mystery that has to do with you, Gentiles." And so he says, "Let's get into it," because I'm assuming that you've heard that God of grace was grace was given to me, to you. You see, Paul's. Job, his, his role of ministering, of teaching to the Gentiles was something that God had given him. God had appointed to him. It was a special revelation given specifically to him. In verse 3 it says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. We're not talking about the book of Revelation. We're talking about revelation from God, a revealing that comes from God. God revealed to him when he, when he got converted in, in Acts chapter 9 that he was going to preach to the Gentiles to people who weren't Jewish. This was a really big deal. It was a big change for them. And he says, this was that I've already written to you about. And then he says in verse 3, he says, how the mystery was made known. What is this mystery? What is this mystery that he's talking about? You see, this isn't something spooky or mysterious or uh, or like a a crime to solve, okay? Think less Scooby-Doo when you're a kid Like, Scooby-Doo was a little freaky, all right? I was worried um, these ghosts were just kind of, like, floating around and moving around the the scene. And I was always worried. I remember, will they figure it out in time by the end of the episode? Like, that was, like, a concern of mine. But when you watch Scooby-Doo as an adult, you know that at the end they're going to take the mask off of someone and it's going to be a person who is up to something nefarious, okay? And you understand that now as an adult. But as a kid, it was like, no, this is a real real problem. Like, there's a real ghost going around, uh, thwarting the plans that something's going to happen here. You see, reveal or or the mystery here is this idea of revealing something which was hidden, something which was one way before and and now is a little bit different. They can see the full picture of it. So some people think that maybe this has to do the mystery with God's uh, mission in the Old Testament. But you see, God's mission in the Old Testament wasn't any different. His mission in the Old Testament was always to reach the, the Gentile people. You see, the, the famous passage that we look at in Scripture to see the start of all of this was in Genesis chapter 12. This is the calling of, that God speaks to Abram, and he actually says to him, Abram, uh, in verse 1, go from your country to, to in your family or your kindred to your father's house to the land that I will show you. Verse 2, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Now, that idea of being a blessing kind of gives us the idea like something else is, is happening and coming. And in verse 3, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse, and, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So this idea, this message that, that, that God wanted to give to all people, to all families, to all the world, it, it happened all the way back in Genesis. That was the beginning of, of the setting apart of the people of Israel. That was the beginning of, of calling them to do something different. That was the beginning of, of them being a Jewish nation but the purpose was always so that they could bless other people, so they could bless other, uh, uh, other people um, and tribes and nations. The goal was always to reach out, to be outward focused. It wasn't just to, to work with the Jewish people. It was to point outward. And so we see then in verse 4, it says, When you read this, you will perceive the insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men and other generations, But it has been revealed now. He's talking about something specific that is being revealed. And in verse six, he explains it. Verse six says, The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Uh, This word that they are fellow is actually repeated in in the Greek um, for each one of these lines. It says that they are fellow heirs, they're fellow members of the body, and they're fellow partakers of the promises in Christ Jesus. Through the gospel. It's repeated each time. You see, the mystery is that the Jews and the Gentiles would come together in one body, in one new group, the church. Instead of two groups of people, and and, and God loving one, God loving the other, everyone who comes together through faith in God would have one Savior, one Father. This is a, a summary of what has been said in chapter two where, where the two shall become one, the, the two are coming together. He's combining them. It's not that God would, would love Jewish people or loves Jewish people and he adds the Gentiles, but it's truthfully that, that God loves both and he wants to do something new. An example that I heard a, a, a pastor say in, in use of this it's, it's as if there were two different teams, maybe even two rival teams. And these two rival teams, maybe you've heard of them, maybe you've seen them play before, I think we got a picture of these two teams? It's as if there was two teams. And God is saying, it's not that I love one more than the other, but but we would say this. If you're a fan, you're like, well, I'm unwaveringly loyal to my team. God has special favor, maybe some of the fans think. That some of the fans pray for their team to win. Some of the fans think that they are better or superior than the other team. But, but it's like God is saying, no, it's not about two teams and loving one and loving the other. He said, it's about me grabbing the two teams and, and combining them together to form one, one new team. Have you been watching the NFL draft? Let's go, Giants, okay? I mean, I don't know. I'm not just saying, is he making a better team or what? But he's saying, I'm taking the Jews, I'm taking the Gentiles, and this message of mine goes to both of them, and I'm trying to unite. My goal is to bring together, because of what Jesus did, there's not two different teams, there's now one team, the church. And this was different. Up until this point, the church uh, had a different role. The church wasn't, there was believers, there was followers of Christ. It wasn't working this way. The the church is something new that that Jesus came to establish. And so we continue in verse 7, it says, On this gospel, uh, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. Verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of these, of the saints, of the grace which was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring light for everyone the plan of the mystery that was hidden from the ages. He said we're entering into a new time. It was God's plan all along, but it's new for us as followers of Christ. This message for Jews and for Gentiles is coming together as one church in order to accomplish the mission of God. This is new. This is big. This is different. And Paul is like, I'm in jail for this. But that's okay because this is really exciting. I'm in jail for this and you think that, that, that the gospel is done or the gospel somehow plans went awry. He's like, no, you don't understand. This is the best thing that could happen because I've been able to proclaim the two coming together to form this one thing. And So the truth for us is that this mystery, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of God bringing Jews and Gentiles together to form the church is the mystery that he wants them in verse thirteen to not lose heart over why he is suffering. He's like, I'm suffering for a good cause, for the message of God that is going out. And so for us today, if the gospel is for all, then we must proclaim that mystery. If the gospel is for everyone, then we must proclaim that mystery. You see, I just wanna give us three simple points of application today, and we'll wrap things up. And the first one is just that the gospel is for you. You see, the word Gentile means non-Jew. And so this passage, we're talking about Greeks because that was kind of the other great civilization that was there at the time. But anyone who is non-Jewish or, or non-chosen people of God is a Gentile. And so this gospel message that we talked about in chapter 1, we talked about in chapter 2, and that we continue to talk about in chapter 3 is available for you. Ephesians 2 verse 8 says it is for grace that you have been saved through faith. So if you've never put your faith in Christ you can do that today it doesn't matter who you are what you look like, what your past is what your present is the mistakes, the problems, anything you literally can turn to God today and receive the gift of his salvation that he gave us through Jesus Christ and you can receive that and be part of the family of God the gospel is for you the second thing is that the gospel must go out We talk all the time about the Great Commission. The Great Commission that Jesus gives, his final words to the disciples, but then also to us, is to go into all the world and preach the message of God, make disciples, baptizing new believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe the commandments that he has given us. His mission is for us to go out into all the world and share the message of God with other people. And the way that happens is through us, the church. The church going out and sharing with other people and I'll say this it's, it's always simple it's always probably the easiest step we can do is inviting other people to church and sometimes we think man I invited 10 people to church and that's great we need to invite people to church but sometimes we need to go a little further and we need to share with them the message of the gospel you say well, I, don't, I don't know how to do that I'm not, I am not go to Bible college you know, I don't, I'm not a pastor's kid I don't know how to do all that share with them your story share with them why you believe share with them how the Bible has given you hope and, transformation and is your help in time of need. The gospel is for you. The gospel must go out. But I also want us to remember, through Paul's words today, that the job isn't always easy. The job isn't always easy. See, we think and expect, okay, well, if God calls me to go and proclaim, if God calls me to go and tell people, then everyone I talk to is going to come back and receive his message. That doesn't quite work like that. In fact, Scripture says that sometimes we were there to sow the seed and someone else is going to water, someone else is going to reap, someone else is going to collect that fruit. We may not even know. And let me tell you, as a youth pastor sometimes, well, I've had the opportunity to share the gospel with many, 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 many kids. And sometimes we don't see the outcome of that. We don't see the fruit of that. Sometimes we won't even see it in this lifetime. But still, it's our job and it's our mission. And I've been blessed to have parents who are missionaries. I've been serving in Italy for over 35 years. And I man, there's hard days. There's sacrifice. There's difficult moments. There's things that we experience that we wouldn't have experienced in any of the other setting. We wouldn't have experienced if we had grown up over here. I wouldn't write run-on sentences had I grown up in an American school. We, we, we wouldn't have experienced being separated from family for all those years. And my brother, and my sister-in-law, they're serving as missionaries in Thailand. I and mean, you talk about far away. They're other part of the world. They have four little kids over there. We don't get to see often. And there's difficulties of learning a whole new language, a language that doesn't even use the same letters and and shapes and vocabulary as we do. It's a whole different culture. But they're committed to sharing the gospel message with people who have not heard of the message of Jesus. Not all of us are called to be missionaries, to pick up and pack up and and leave and go across town or go across the world. But some of us are called to go across town, to go back to our work. To go back to our friends, our neighbors, and say, listen, I know you're having a rough time, and, and I know you think that maybe this is hokey, but, but let me share with you the message that God has given me. Let me share with you the message that God is providing. And for some of us, it's giving means, and we talked about being a generous church, and uh, we, we talked about our, our offerings we've collected, how we've been able to help other churches even, and it's such a privilege to be a part of that. But God is calling us to bring that gospel message out. We need to receive it. It needs to go out, and we need to remember that it's not always going to be simple. It's not always going to be easy. And In Paul's case, it got him in prison, but he said in verse 13 that it's my suffering is for you, which is your glory. We need to understand that sometimes God has a plan that doesn't make sense to us, and sometimes God will lead us on that plan if we're willing to follow him. So who are you speaking to? Who are you sharing with? Who are you bringing this gospel message to? the best message you've ever heard, the best message you will ever receive, the message that has the power to change your life, that Jesus has taken your sin, your wrongdoings, and he has forgiven them, and he wants to give you new life. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I ask right now that before we pray, that you would ask the Lord, Father, who do I need to speak to? Who do I need to share this with? Who do I need to talk to? And encourage them with the message of your word. Or maybe you feel like you've been a part of church, you've been a part of visiting, or you've been a part of coming and attending. Maybe this gospel message of Jesus dying for your wrongdoings, for your sin, is not something that's taken root in your heart. You've heard it, you know the answer, but it's not something that you are living out. Maybe you need to ask God to come into your life today. Maybe you've been disappointed because life is hard and there's difficult moments and it's not always easy and simple. And even when you have shared and you've been obedient, you feel like God didn't answer the prayer that you prayed. Well, know that he is still in control and that our expectations aren't always met. What we think should happen doesn't always happen. And praise the Lord for that because he is in control. Jesus, thank you this morning for your people. Thank you this morning for this time together. Thank you this morning, Father, for the message that was brought out and and brought in not just to Jewish people, but to us as well, non-Jewish people. Father, I pray that your word would take root in our hearts, that we would go out and proclaim the victories and the truth and the glory of your message. Father God, that you would transform our community, our families, our neighborhoods, and the whole world with the message of the gospel. We love you, Jesus. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand and respond to that today.